Cliff. If you're here, you've come to church on a Sunday morning, you have um, woken up, you've gotten the kids ready, you drove out here, you're here. To be in a church anywhere, to be online right now, it means that in our worldview and our thinking, we believe that the world is more than what we can see, taste, smell, touch. That our five senses are not the only things that are real. If we are in this place, we believe there is more to life than our reason or our experience. Now, we are not against reason or experience. As Christians, we are not anti-science. We're not anti-reason. There's a reason that many Christians throughout history have been incredible philosophers. There's a reason throughout history some of the greatest scientific discoveries have been made by those who loved God. Because if we love God, we believe that the world he made has laws, and we learn about those laws and describe physical reality. But as followers of Christ, we believe that our reason and our experience are not the only thing, the only ways to learn truth. We believe there is a God who has revealed himself to humanity. He's revealed himself through his word. He has spoken that we may know. It's almost like God held the curtain back and said, I'm like you see behind the scenes to what everything means and how everything works. God has spoken and God speaks. We believe there's more than our five senses. We believe in a God who made the world and who sustains the world. And if we believe that, then it's okay for us to believe in this thing called angels. Today we're talking about angels. In Acts chapter 12, there are three stories and angels feature in all of them. They show up and come and do things. And a lot of us read this and we're like, man, the Bible's crazy. And we just got to walk by and don't think about what angels are, what they do. Because a lot of us, our thoughts of angels are very, very wrong. A lot of popular thoughts about angels, I don't know where they came from, these ideas, but we have them, we pass them on, we say these things. One of the most common untruths about angels People always say, if someone you love dies, people will say to you to comfort you, oh, God just needed another angel. Especially when children die. Someone will say that, like when my wife and I had a miscarriage, someone came to us and said, oh, God just needed another angel. Listen, when we die, we don't transform into angels. Angels are different than we are. They're not men and women. Whatever they are, they're something else. They're not like us, and we're not like them. Angels are not, I mean, a lot of us get our idea of angels from cartoons, from popular media. So for a lot of us, angels have wings, harps, white flowy robes, right? Looney Tunes style. Or if you're more cultured, maybe your idea of angels come from the Italian Renaissance. So they're like small, fat babies. Like Raphael, not the Ninja Turtle, the painter, the painter. Raphael would paint these, these fat babies with wings and they're cherub-like with big old chubby cheeks. And these are the ideas we give of angels in the world we live in. But the Bible never ever like makes them the forefront of the story, but they're around. You read the Bible, there's, they just show up sometimes and do things and leave. You're like, what are those? So today we talk about what angels are, what they do, and how we interact with them as followers of Christ. 
So it's, I'm, I'm going to be very careful. This is very, we're dealing with very heavenly things. We're talking today about angels. So we begin in chapter 12 and verse 1. It seems as though as the church has grown, Rome is not happy about it. And a guy named Herod the king arrests James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. Um, oftentimes when you read the Bible, there's always three guys talked about. James, Peter, James, and John. They're like the three inner circle of the apostles. Peter, James, and John. Well, James is the first apostle to die. He's the first one to die. Herod arrests him, and Herod kills him. And Herod sees that killing James has made the Jewish masses, they were like, Herod, you're my man. And he's like, well, that, that, that won me some acclaim that made me popular. I'll kill some more of these guys. So he goes and he arrests Peter. And Peter is like the leader of the church. And if you want to kill a movement, you always take out the leader. That's what you do. Um, and so Herod has Peter in prison, and he decides, um, it's Passover. And remember, last Passover, Pilate brought out Christ and said, who do you want, Christ or this criminal? Herod's probably planning to do that again. Herod's probably planning to bring out Peter and some of the guy and say, who do you want me to set free? You know, Peter, this Jesus follower, or this other jerky guy? And let the crowds choose the jerky guy, and he'll get a lot of attention again. That's his plan. He's got Peter. And this is what happens. Verse 6. Now when Peter was, a, when, sorry, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, so everyone knows, Peter's going to die. James is already dead. So everyone knows, man, this Herod guy already killed James. Peter is next. He is going to die. If nothing intervenes, this is the way the story goes. That very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So Luke, the historian, tells us Peter's locked down. When I, I go to the jail, I've been going a lot more lately to the Jesse County Jail. There's different floors in the jail, okay? Um, there is the intake, like a wing, where people come in new to get kind of sorted out. There's a wing that's just for people who are a danger to themselves, for those who are medically, psychologically unsound. And there is, on a fifth floor, there's a wing that's for the violent offenders. They're the ones that don't play well with others, and they're kept on their own. A lot of them are in solitary 23-1. 23 hours alone, one hour outside under the sky. It's a brutal life. Peter is in this jail, and they have him on lockdown. There are the normal guards outside, but there are also two guards chained to him. He's got two guards, I mean, obviously, it's either leg or arm to each of these guards. Peter ain't going nowhere. Herod's got him, and Herod's going to offer him up to the crowds, and he's going to be made famous for doing so. Herod's making sure that his big fish isn't going to be let go. Verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, 
dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you. Follow me. It's cold outside, man. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. First, I want to say what angels is this. God sends angels. God sends angels to deliver people. God sends angels to deliver his people. This happens, you see it all throughout the Bible, where God will send one of his messengers, one of his obedient servants, to go deliver one of his. And God has sent an angel to deliver Peter. Peter is, it's game over. According to the natural world, Peter is going to die. As he's going to bed, two chains around his arms and legs, two soldiers next to him, soldiers at the door, he's still going to bed thinking to himself, man, I very well may die come tomorrow morning. He sees they're building the gallows outside. He is going to die. And he goes to bed knowing this. And the night, wake up, dude. Oh, what? Shh. And, dude, it says the chains just fall off. They're not broken. The angel just commands them, and he open up. And he's like, I guess I'm free. And he gets up. The door opens. He walks out. And they just walk out of the prison. Like, what's going on? Like, they walk out of there, and no one, it's, it's not an action movie. It's not, it's not like running around, gun in hand. Da -da -da -da. It's literally just, just, they walk out, and no one bothers them. And he's out in the air free. Because God sent that angel to deliver Peter. And that does happen. Talking to people, I've heard stories of people who have been in moments of incredible duress and need. And someone shows up. Someone unknown. Someone mysterious who has the exact talents that the moment requires. They show up. They serve, disappear, and no one knows who they were or where they came from. My good friend, Pastor Wes Morris, tells a story. When he was a younger man, they were getting their boat out of the water, and they waited too long. You know, if you own, like, they're Fenton people. They own boats. And uh, um, out there, if you own a boat, you got to get out of the water every year at wintertime. Before the winter comes, you got to get out of the water to get somewhere to store, Right? Well, they waited a long time. Now, I have friends of mine that own boats, and they'll call me up and say, hey, pastor, want to help me out get this boat out? It's one of the worst jobs ever because people wait too long. If someone's calling you. They waited too long. You're getting in the water. It's cold. It's already stinking like, you know, September, October. You're in that water just oh, getting, getting that boat out of there. Well, he waited till late. So they're out there. They they're getting the boat on the trailer, and something messes up, and it's un unhooked, and the boat starts floating away and into the middle of the lake. So my boy Wes, good swimmer. He's a good swimmer. Grew up on lakes his whole life. He's a great swimmer, okay? I've been out with him. We've gone out um, doing like when you like do the, the rope pulls you and you're on like a cool thing and you surf on the water. Water ski. See, I, I'm not, I wasn't raised around water, dude. I'm from Flint, dude. The only, the only body of water we had in Flint was the river and you didn't go in there. Uh, there was three-eyed fish in that river, dude. Um, that, was, that was the legend when I was a kid. But he is a great swimmer, so he decides, I'm going to jump in the water, swim to the boat, grab it, has a, you know, and I'm going to turn it on and go ahead and drive this boat back to shore. He dives in the water, starts swimming, but the water's cold. He hits that water, starts swimming, and his body, guess what happened? You've been in cold water, what does your body do? Goes into shock, yo, and it begins shutting down. 
So he's going hard swimming at this boat, and he's losing strength, and he realizes. And the boat's the wind's just taking the boat further into the lake. He, and he turns, he realizes he's really far from shore now, and he ain't catching that boat. He looks back, and he realizes, I don't have enough to get back. And he realizes, I'm going to die out here in this lake. Muscles all cramped out. He doesn't have the strength. And he's out there. And all his buddies aren't as good swimmers as he is, so he just didn't, no one knows what to do. There's no more boats in the water. It's a small lake up north. Out of nowhere, some random guy runs from in front of the house, just runs to the lake, dives in, swims all the way to where Pastor Wes is, scoops him up, and swims him all the way back. Now remember, Wes is a great swimmer. Like who, and this is a small lake, everyone knows everybody on this lake. This guy, Wes said, he just felt this strength grab his chest. Now, if you've ever been in the water and grab anybody, if there's no like floor, if you, I remember one time I was at a camp and a girl went on a blob. You guys remember the blob at camp where you, you're on one end and someone jumps and they pooch you up in the air and you fall in the water? A hilarious youth group game. I remember one time there's this girl out there and there were in a blobber, two people blobbed her and I'm watching and one of her friends is like, man, I hope she's okay. She doesn't know how to swim. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, she doesn't want to swim, but it'll be fine. I'm like, so I see her, bloop, she shoots up, hits the water, she comes up in a panic. I jump in the water, I, and I'm a big dude, she's a, she's a little girl, and I get to her, and I go to get her, and she grabs me in fear. And they, they say it's true, so a little person can drown you in the water. She starts grabbing me, pulling on me, and I'm like, we're both going to die. I literally had to tag her to get her to calm down. Like, she's grabbing me, I'm like, and I hit her, and she goes limp, and I, and listen, I'm a decent swimmer, decent, listen, listen, it's not assault when you save their life, um, I don't know if that's true or not, I'm sorry, forget that's a bad, a horrible joke, but we're gonna die, so I hit her, and so I, I grab her, I lean back, and, I start, and listen, she's a little girl, I'm a decent swimmer, and I could barely swim us back. Full strength, warm water, close to shore, and they like some people came out, helped us in. It was, I got out of there, heart beating, could barely do it. That's full strength, close to shore, small person. Wes is a full-grown man. This person hits the water, swims all the way to Wes. Wes says he grabs him, and it's an iron, just grabs him like iron strength, and swims him back like nothing. Pulls him out, puts him on the shore. Everyone runs to him. Are you okay? He's all in shock, panicking. They get up, and the person is gone. They ask around. You know this person is what they look like. No one knows this person where they came from. And he'll ask, he'll tell you, I think God sent someone to save my life that day. I asked my wife last night, have we ever had something like this happen to us? And she said, there was that guy in India. And I'm like, I, th I thought the same thing. There's this one time in India, and we both remember, like, I, I asked her to see if I was crazy. She goes, there was that guy at the airport. I'm like, babe, that's the guy. There was a day when I was in India, and we were, it was, we were flying through Bombay, and they had not yet built their international airport. And we flew from India to India land. We had to go across town to this other airport, and we get there. We have an hour to get on our flight, and there are a 1,000 people crowded on the front of this airport. 
It is chaos. Because in India, in America, we do lines, right? If I walk into a, in America, we're so, we, we obey the rules so well. Not so much in Flint, but the rest of the country, we obey rules so well. You know, we stop at red lights, we stay in the lane, we do all these things. In India, that stuff means nothing. Everyone just crowds to the front, everyone's pushing and jostling. It is chaos. There are a thousand people screaming, luggage above their heads, trying to get in this airport, and I'm like, we're never making our flight. Like, we can't get through that mass of humanity. And we're standing there looking lost as lost can be. And here's the deal. In India, I'm not white. I don't know if you know that or not. It's true. In India, being white means you are, of the, uh, you are American. It means you're the high caste. So if I was a white man, it'd be like, I could be like, everybody, I'm high caste, let me through. But I'm not white. So we're there, and I'm like, babe, I don't know what we're going to do. Also, this man comes up to me and goes, excuse me, you need to come with me. He takes my hand. And in India, people, men hold hands. It's just like they're not afraid of that. He starts leading us through the crowd. And I'm like, Angie, I don't know what's happening. I'm like, Angie, I trust him. She goes, I don't know. Lead us to the crowd. We go all through these people, go to this random guy, checks our bags, get into the door. We get to the airport. He checks our bags in the airport, and he's just guiding us. At no point, usually in India, if someone helps you, they tell you up front how much money they want, What's going to cost? This guy had that for nothing. We get through the main line. We get into the building. I'm like, this is crazy. Just, we get to the American Airlines desk. It is hit people. I mean, just babies, people. Like, there are poultry and baskets in this place. And we're like, we're never getting on this plane. And he just leads us around the desk, furthest from the airport. And there's another American Airlines desk somewhere else, and there's no one there. And he takes us all the way to the front. He puts, he says, you will be fine here. And he leaves. I'm like... How much do you want? And he just waves his hand and walks away. In India, no one waves their hand to money. Like, you, everything you do in India is for money from the Americans. And my wife and I had never figured out who, who he worked for. Like, he got, he got us through that entire mess. And I always wondered, God, you took care of us. So we all have a story like this where someone just showed up at the right moment, right time, and helped us. And we wonder, was that God sending an angel to deliver us? Maybe, I don't know. But I will say this. I thought as hard as I could, and I only have one story that might be something supernatural. Just one. And some of you might have zero. And that's normal. You got to understand, angels showing up and showing themselves off is very, very rare, even in the Bible. When the angel comes to Peter, you know what he does? He thinks it's a dream. The thought of, in the world we live in, there are rules, right? Gravity pulls things down. There are 24 hours in a day. The world works a certain way. When God, like, shows up and breaks his own rules, it's a big deal. Peter thinks he's having a vision, It's so outside of his experience, he doesn't know what is happening. Because in normal life, angels don't show up and loose the chains. In normal life, the chains stay bound and you go to the hangman. But God showed up in this moment. And let's listen to this later on. So he gets out. Um, So let's see here. Verse 12, when he realized he was free... He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. 
When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So he gets there. He's, he was in prison. Middle of the night, he's free. Knocks. A girl's like, Shh, Peter, Shh, runs away. Leaves him standing out there in the middle of the street. Goes to everyone's like, guys, guys, Peter's outside. He's okay. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it must be his angel. Okay, so listen, here's what's going on. Peter comes. He comes to the very house where the Christians are praying for his deliverance. They're literally at a prayer meeting praying for Peter's life. And when Peter shows up, they're like, you're crazy. Peter ain't out there. And they go and they hear his voice. They're like, it must be his ghost. They assume he's already dead. He's going to haunt us forever. We didn't pray hard enough. They're praying for Peter. And when Peter is freed, it freaks them out. Because when God moves supernaturally, it is a freaky thing. When God moves in this kind of way, it's something you don't see all the time. I was on a camping trip once, and we didn't bring enough water. And we're on an island. And we didn't bring enough food or enough water. It was a whole mess of a thing. And then two of my kids decided to just run the whole island. And they get dehydrated, and they get heat stroke. So it's the middle of the night, and one of my kids is vomiting. We put water in him. He throws the water up. We're in bad shape. Middle of the night, there's no ferry coming for two days. We are in big trouble. Because this kid's dehydrating to the point of danger. And we go down the path. There's these other Christians, these older men. And I said, listen, I have a young man at our camp, and he's dehydrated. He is in, he's heat stroke. I don't know what to do. These older men come back to our camp. They come into the tent. And this kid is on fire, fevered up, just convulsing. And they lay their hands on his hot skin. And I'm just there watching. I'm there watching. And they pray over him, these men of faith. And immediately the convulsion just starts slowing down. I'm watching the convulsion stop. Now, this is freaky. This is a scary movie, freaky. And they're praying over him. He starts convulsion stops. They're praying some more. Someone gets some water. They feed it to him. doesn't throw up. I go touch his skin, and his skin is no longer on fire. And I was like, what did I just see? I just watched two people in the middle of the woods pray over this young man, and I watched every bad thing that was happening stop in an instant. That's, a, that's not natural. And when it happened, it kind of freaked me out. Because usually fevers take a long time to go away. Usually in the normal world, A leads to B leads to C. And when, some, when God intervenes, it's a freaky thing. Do not think that angels are going to show up every single day. Like showing up like, oh man, I don't know. A lot of us see angels behind every single incident. And angels are not infinite. There's only so many of them. They're not sent to every single incident. There's a, there's a story in Daniel where Daniel's praying, and an angel comes to Daniel. Daniel goes, where have you been? I've been praying for all this time. And the angel says, I was sent to you months ago, but I only got to you just now because I was battling the prince of Persia. And you read that, you're like, what does that even mean? 
God sent the angel to help Daniel, and some demonic power held it up. So God, he, God sent the messenger. God sent the servant, but Daniel didn't have that gift given to him for months because of things happening in the spiritual realm. Angels, ha- angels have to travel, have to move through space, apparently. So angels can be sent to deliver. This is part of our faith. God does and can intervene in the world. Now, everyone's pumped that Peter's alive. Then we go to verse 20. Herod finds out what happens. Herod gets mad, kills all the soldiers. Then this happens, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, having, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. He delivered a speech. And the people were shouting, this is the voice of a god and not of a man. They're praising Herod. They're saying, Herod is a god. His words are the words of a God, not just a human being. Herod is more than a man. He is God. He is a God. And Herod hears these words. Now, Herod is a bad dude. Herod already killed James. Herod tried to kill Peter. Herod gave Christ all kinds of trouble. Herod is an evil ruler. And in this moment, when people call him God, he takes that and he's like, oh, yeah, I am. You know I'm bad. He takes that glory. He takes that praise. He's like, I am like God. That's what happens to him. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod says, yeah, you know what, you're right. I am like God. And God sends an angel and puts him down. So God sends angels for for deliverance. But God also sends angels to judge. God, and you read in the Bible, half of their ministry is dealing with sin. Angels, God sometimes sends angels to deal with sinful humanity. You read about like Sodom and Gomorrah. Angel raining down hellfire. I was in Mexico, and it was a funeral for this Mexican guy who died a very, a very um, suspicious death. This Mexican guy, he died, and uh, they did an autopsy on him because he died. There was no one around. He fell over dead. There was no, like, they, they, no heart attack. They tried to figure out what killed this guy, and they couldn't figure out why he died. So there was a funeral for him. He was known in the community, and his brother did the funeral service in Mexico. So we all went. One of the craziest funerals I ever witnessed. Everyone in the family was a Christian, loved Jesus. And the brother, the guy who died, had been called by God and had been in ministry for many years, and he left the ministry to chase after some sin and was living his life, doing what he wanted, mocking God with his decisions. The brother gets up there to speak, 
And he said, the brother says, in the funeral, to the whole family, he says, I love my brother. I love him very much. We love his wife and his kids. And he says all the things. He's like, my brother was called by God for this purpose. And many of you know, many years ago, he forsook that purpose. And his life has been an open mockery to God for the last three years. He's like, many of and he, it's all in Spanish, so I'm like translating it with a buddy of mine. And he says, no one knows how my brother died. You know, like no one knows. The autopsy gave us no results. No one knows how he died. He's like, I know how he died, and I'll tell you how he died. My brother mocked God, and God took him. I mean, I'm just like, holy, like it's, who says that at a funeral? My brother mocked God, and God took him. And he said, don't mock God. Amen. And that was the end of the service. That was the, the funeral service. was like, I was like, dude, if you leave there, you're like, there is a God in heaven, and I ain't going to mock him. Because he has power and authority. And he, is he gracious? Yes. Is he kind? Yes. But apparently he will not be mocked. I have literally in my life, I have heard people mock God, and I take a step backwards. You may say I'm crazy. I'm like, just in case lightning's coming, I'm moving over there. I don't want to be near you when the lightning falls. God has sent his angels to judge people. God will not be mocked, and those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. All that stuff is true. So sometimes God sends angels to deliver. Sometimes he sends angels to, to judge. But I want to add one last thing. And this is the hardest thing to say. God commands his angels, not us. Which means sometimes when we want God to intervene and he doesn't, we are brokenhearted. It's very easy to be mad at God when we ask him to intervene and he doesn't show up. You got to understand, how does this whole story start? It starts with the death of James. James. James was in the same prison, bound with the same chains, and an angel did not come and deliver him. James died. Right? James loved God. James was faithful to God's work. And when his time came, he died. Even Peter, who was set free from this prison, years later, Rome would crucify him upside down, and an angel did not come to rescue him. When his time came, his time came. What I want to say to you is this. We believe that God moves. We believe that God can break the rules of the world he made. He, the laws of reality. If you get sick, you have these um, symptoms. That's, that's how normal life works, right? And sometimes God can cheat the rules. I'm glad he does. One time Joshua was fighting a war, and it was sunset, and God was like, move the sun back for Joshua's battle. It happened one time in history. God can do things like that. But just because he can and just because he has doesn't mean he will in the moment you need him to. There have been things I've asked God to do that he did not do. I have asked God to move some mountains that did not move. And I don't know why. 
Some people may promise you that if you ask God the right way with the right words, he will do what you ask. He has purposes and plans beyond any of our lives. The story God's telling is not about us. The movie's not about Ernesto. It's not about you. It's not about Flint. It's not about Flint City Church. The movie is about Jesus. And we're all just, we're all like, we're not even co-stars. We're like extras, yo. We're in the background just like pushing the broom like, am I on camera? Like, we're hoping that the camera sees us. <laughs> I mean, that's it's us. We are the extras. And we, listen, we get to do awesome things to make God's world a better place. That's a great thing. But the movie's not about us. It's not about you. We die. And we get sick. It's always happened, and it will happen. The world turns a certain way. The rules God put into place, the, the, the reality he built and sustains, there is a cause and effect to the world. And listen, I do pray against nature sometimes. When I'm in India, like in a few minutes, we're going to pray over people as we leave. In India, we pray over people every Sunday. And every Sunday, when church ends, Hindus will come to church. They won't come there for the worship or the word, but they'll come for the prayer. And Hindus will come in and they'll bring their daughters to be prayed for. Because in India, a lot of young girls are very vulnerable to the trades, the sex trade out there. If a family can't pay a debt, they can just give their daughter to a, a place and that will resolve the debt. It's a very dangerous place for girls. When families bring daughters to me and I pray for them, I, I often will cry when I'm praying for many young women. And I always pray for God's angelic forces to watch over them. I ask God, God, send one of your angels to watch over this girl. And if someone, I, I say it the same every time. Lord, send your angels. And if someone doesn't hurt this young girl, you strike them down. I pray all the time. I pray protection over those little ones because I fear for their safety. You're allowed to pray those things. My daughter went on a field trip the other day. And when I was praying in the morning, I'm like, Lord... Send an angel with their school bus and keep them safe. I ask God to send his messengers with the people I love sometimes. I, we are allowed to ask these things. We are. But you got to remember, God commands the angels. We don't. Sometimes you might experience a supernatural deliverance. That might happen. But sometimes... The cancer just grows. And he's still good then, too. This is the world we live in. We are all, we're all going to face suffering. We're all going to face loss. That's part of being a person. We can't dodge all of it. We just can't. To our online audience, I'm going to say right now, we're going to go ahead and we're going to pray and let you guys go. Um, so if we turn them off when we're done with prayer, if you would be so kind, John. And then we're going to open up some time for prayer for people that want it in this room. I would encourage you what to do with this information I'm just giving you this day. 
ask God for help. Ask him. We're allowed to ask. And if God moves mightily on your behalf, tell the world how good he is. Tell the world how good he is. And if you must suffer, the question should not be, why me? Because it rains on the just and the unjust. We're all going to get hit eventually. Right? We all take hits, every one of us. The question is why, the question is not why me. The question should be, Lord, how do you want to use this to grow me? And how do you want to use this to bless the world I'm a part of? Those are the questions. They're hard questions. There's a sweet old lady, older lady, had a stroke this week, visitor in the hospital. Uh, the stroke was real bad, took out her whole left side, left side, and um, her life's different now. She's going to be moving from her apartment into a assisted, assisted living, you know what I'm saying? And for any senior citizens, that's a hard change to make when you go from being independent to being living in a, a place where they're like, it's just, you know what I'm saying? Like, no one, no senior citizen wants to lose their license. A senior citizen wants to have, so, so her kids literally sold her apartment, moved all her stuff while she's in the hospital. Now, some people, that would make them really angry, wouldn't it? Some senior citizens would be like, you don't really love me, you hate me. All the things. I went to visit this lady yesterday at the hospital. And she told me, you know, I was mad at first that my kids moved me. They found this new place for me to live. She goes, but you know what? She's like, I believe that God has a, a purpose for me in this new place. I don't know who there is the person I need to reach, but I'm going to go there, have a good attitude, and I'm going to be a light in that community. And I couldn't believe that she laid down all her, she lost all that freedom. Her body is now weaker than it was. And instead of being, why me? She's like, Lord, what can I learn from this? And who are we going to bless through this loss? And leaving that place, I was like, God, this is the heart we should have as his people. So if God will send his angels, praise him. If God doesn't send his angels, praise him. And if you're living in sin, I had a guy tell me last week on the east side, He's been drinking and just cursing God to his face, saying, I'm waiting for God to stop me, and he never does. And I'm like, listen, that day's coming. And so I say to you, if you're living in open sin and rebellion to God, I'd cut it out because God will not be mocked. And you don't want to be on the other end of that stinking, that switch. So let us pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for your word that is true. You delivered Peter, and that gives us hope that you can deliver your servants. Hear our cries, O oh Lord. Lord, you withstood Herod, and that gives us hope because the kings of the earth who think they're untouchable, the law might not be able to touch them, the courts might not be able to touch them, but Lord, you can touch them. Let us live in humility knowing that you are the true king of the universe and you will not be mocked. 
And give us faith, O Lord, that whatever, however the story goes, whatever we must face tomorrow, let us trust you knowing that your plan is good and there's a reason for what happens in the here and the now. Help us to trust you at the core of our being. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.